morning. Good morning and welcome to Preston Hollow Presbyterian Church and to this service of worship. If you are worshiping with us for what is one of the first times, we want to say a special word of welcome to you. If you are a visitor in our midst, we invite you following worship to head through the doors to your left and into the atrium. We enjoy fellowship after worship and also to stop by the welcome desk. There are folks with bright yellow name tags who are there to greet you and also to hand you um, a gift bag that has some information about the life and ministry of this congregation as well as a homemade treat, a sign of our gratitude for your presence with us in worship this day. I do invite all of you to find those blue friendship pads that are located at the end of your pews, and if you would, take them and sign them and pass them down the row. That's a way that you register your presence here with us in worship, but also a way that you might note the names of those who you are worshiping with on the pew so that you can greet one another personally following our service this morning. You'll also find in those pew racks in front of you our prayer cards. If you have a joy or a concern that you would like to make the pastoral staff aware of, we invite you to fill out those cards and to place it in the offering plate at that time during worship. It is our privilege to walk alongside you and to pray with you and for you, and so we invite you to note those joys and concerns that we might be made aware of them. On the back page of your worship bulletin, you'll find information about things that are upcoming in our life together. I want to highlight just a couple of those for you this morning. We have a special event coming up on Thursday, February 7th at 7.30 at the Myerson Symphony Center. A Gospel Goes Classical. Some members of the PHPC Choir will be participating in that event. That evening will blend gospel with a full orchestra and a 200-person choir. Um, it's an event not to be missed, and all the proceeds will ben benefit Project Unity, which is a nonprofit organization here in Dallas dedicated to improving race relations in our city and an organization that we have worked with and continue to work with as a congregation. Tickets are also still on sale for our choir gala on February 9th that will raise funds for our choir's trip to um, England and Scotland this upcoming summer, and so information about how um, to buy tickets and ticket prices are all included on the back page of your bulletin. Friends, this is the day that the Lord is still making. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Let us worship holy God this day. Let us join our voices in the responsive call to worship. When we come to worship, we bring the joys of life and cherished memories. When we come to worship, we bring big questions and significant fears. When we come to worship, we bring all of ourselves. With all that we bring and all that we are, let us worship God.
together in worship, we bring all of ourselves, including our mistakes, our regrets, and the ways in which we have fallen short. In confession, we collectively name our shortcomings, trusting that God will forgive us and give us new opportunities to do good in the world. So let us join together in the prayer of confession printed in your bulletin. We have heard it said, God won't give you more than you can handle. God, we confess that we often believe this half-truth. We confess that we often see suffering as ordained by you. We confess that we are carrying burdens that feel too heavy, and yet we still believe that this is your will. Forgive us, merciful God. Remind us that you invite us to lay down our burdens and rest. Remind us that you do not wish for us to suffer. Remind us that when we suffer, you are with us. Friends, our salvation is not something that can be purchased with money or fame or good behavior. Our salvation comes from Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So friends, hear and believe the good news of the gospel. We are saved by grace through faith. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Thanks be to God. scripture read and proclaimed. Let us pray. God, we are hungry. We are hungry for wisdom, for truth, for love. Nourish us this day with better food than we could ever purchase, engineer, or manufacture. Nourish us with your word, your love, your spirit, your daily bread for our life's journey. In the company of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Friends, when you're a child and you don't know the answer to something, you ask an adult. When you're an adult and you don't know the answer to something, you ask Google. How do you change a tire? What really is tofu? How do you tie a tie? How many ounces are in a cup? Where can I vote? Who will win the Super Bowl? What does it mean to be a Presbyterian? This month, we have been asking faith questions that one might Google. Does everything really happen for a reason? Is everything in scripture true? Does God help those who help themselves? So this morning, we are asking another question in the same vein. Does God give us more than we can handle? 
So as we prepare, I invite you now to listen to scripture. Listen for what God might be saying to you today. A reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to humankind. And God is faithful. God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, God will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I can't be certain, but I would bet that most families have their own little catchphrases. I know my family does. For example, when I was young and we would come home from school or the grocery store and pull into the driveway, my mom would say, home again, home again. And my brother and I in the back seat would say, jiggity jig. Yes, you know it. Strange nursery rhyme. Or there's the way my family says, bless your heart. You see, my parents were raised in the South, so in our house, the phrase, bless your heart, really means, well, that is just about the dumbest thing I have ever heard. <laughs> or there is the way we often say, I love you. As I've told you before, we'll sometimes say, have I told you today? And the other person will respond with, not too many times. It's a phrase that we've adopted from my great-grandparents. They used to say that back and forth. Have I told you today that I loved you? Not too many times. Never too many times. And then there's the times when someone in my family will say the words, I said, I said. And the other person has to respond with, you the best. <laughs> Honestly, I have no idea. It was probably some silly chant that we came up with on a long car ride that made us laugh until our sides hurt. So even now, years later, my dad can say on the phone, I said, I said, and he knows that I will say, you the best. <laughs> I imagine your family has them too. Catchphrases, nicknames, inside jokes, terms of endearment. Phrases that help us make sense of one another and the world around us. The church does as well. Over time, Christians have developed phrases and wording around our faith. Many of these phrases are biblical, others theological. Phrases such as turn the other cheek. Go the extra mile. WWJD, or let go and let God. Comedian John Christ has an entire bit on the different phrases Christians will use simply to say no. <laughs> he jokes that when you become a Christian, not only do you get God's saving grace and eternal love, but you also inherit a list of ways to say no that makes you sound incredibly spiritual while simultaneously turning someone down. Some of the phrases he jokes about are, I'm just afraid that's not God's will. Or, I'm feeling led in a different direction. I 
really don't feel the spirit prompting me on this one. Or, I just don't know that I'm in that season of life. And then there's my all-time favorite. Let me pray on it and get back to you. Mm -hmm. We've all been there. We develop catchphrases because they help us make sense of the world around us. We say things like, turn the other cheek and God won't give you more than you can handle because we tend to find comfort or guidance in these words. The only problem with phrases like that is they often comfort the speaker more than the receiver, and they often aren't biblical. Today's sermon is focusing on the question, does God give us more than we can handle? It's a complicated question, because most often it's a question that deals with a complicated matter, suffering. And when it comes to suffering, we reach for catchphrases that will help us make sense of things faster than we can blink. It's why the words, everything happens for a reason and God won't give you more than you can handle are household sayings. That's also why it's so important to slow down and look at the text for today. The text we read this morning is credited with the phrase, God won't give you more than you can handle which would make you think that this passage deals with suffering, but that's actually not what it's talking about. In this passage, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth. In the 12 verses before what we read today, Paul pauses his preaching to tell a story about ancient Israel. He starts the story by speaking about Israel being God's people, led by Moses, under God's protection, it would have been a familiar narrative, likely even comforting to the Corinthians. But when Paul tells this familiar story, he sprinkles in modern language not found in the Torah, which would have reflected what the early church would have known and valued at that time. Terms such as baptized into one cloud and guided by the rock that is Christ. I can only imagine that that was a strategic move on Paul's part to draw a connection between Israel and modern-day Corinthians listening. In other words, Paul wasn't saying, remember those people you've read about? Paul was saying, remember those people we belong to? The Israelites are our ancestors. This is our history. This is not just story time. This is our story. And from there, Paul goes on to speak about temptation, which is where we found ourselves today. Paul reminds the Corinthians that God has always been faithful, but Israel often got it wrong. The Israelites forgot who provided manna and quail in the desert for them. They melted together their gold to form a golden calf, creating idols. They begged for a king. They fought and quarreled. They doubted beyond doubt. God was faithful. The Israelites often were not. So Paul is preaching to the Corinthians. And he's telling this story. And he's saying, this is our story. So let's learn from it. Let's be better. 
But the good news is, God will be faithful, and God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Paul is speaking to the Corinthians about temptation, about their choices, about their lives as people of faith. Paul is trying to empower the Corinthians to be faithful Christians to a faithful God. This is not a conversation around suffering. This is an empowering conversation around living a faithful life. It seems to me that over the years we have taken the words, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can omitted the word tempted, shrugged off the context, and inserted the words give and handle, so that the phrase, God will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, a commentary on temptation, has turned into, God will not give you more than you can handle, a commentary on suffering. Those are different things. So what is the impact of us colloquially altering the text like that? I fear it's significant. When we rewrite scripture, we lose what Paul was trying to say all along, which is that we belong to God and God has always been faithful, so we are invited to be faithful back. When we rewrite scripture, we lose that message and instead adopt a message that portrays God as a God who doles out suffering for our character development. God is no longer a personal God of relationship and belonging, but a distant being who is keeping track of who among us is strong enough to handle a cancer diagnosis, as if any of us could handle that. Or who among us is strong enough to handle a miscarriage, or losing our job, or heartbreak, as if that's the only way we could ever know God? When we throw around the words, God won't give you more than you can handle, it implies that God is giving us suffering for some benefit that we just can't possibly understand yet. And friends... If I understand the gospel, that does not line up with who I know God to be. Jesus went out of his way every day of his ministry to heal the sick, to feed the poor, to end suffering on this earth. He tried to right wrong systems. He saw those who were not being seen. He cast out demons and he invited us to do the same. Jesus was not in the business of condoning our suffering. He worked every day to end our suffering. You've heard it said, God will not give you more than you can handle. But the simple fact of the matter is, those words don't come from scripture. And those words don't paint a good and gracious God. A God who longs for your well-being. A God who walks with you through the valley of the shadow of death and who died on the cross for you. A God who was faithful to the Israelites even when they were not faithful in return. So what can we say? If we can't say God won't give you more than you can handle, what can we say when we're faced with suffering? 
For our country is experiencing temperatures colder than we've seen in years, and the poorest among us are the most vulnerable. And we saw another headline this week for a homophobic and racist hate crime in the news. And we are so used to gun violence that we are desensitized. And that is not even to make mention of the grief and the anxiety and the loneliness that we bring into this room week after week after week. We are not strangers to suffering. So if Paul was not trying to say that God will not give us more than we can handle, what do we say when the world falls apart? I wish... I wish there was a simple catchphrase that could fit on a bumper sticker and be used to address moments of suffering, but I don't know that there is. Instead, I think the best we can do is acknowledge that the world is not as it should be. Continue to speak love and continue showing up for one another. For when we do, we embody a faithful God, a faithful love. And God is always present in that. I saw that kind of resilient love, the kind that keeps showing up when I was in high school. My mom's best friend was diagnosed with cancer, pancreatic cancer. Her name was Julie, and she and my mom looked like twins. When they were in the sanctuary together, a distance away, I honestly could not pick out which one was my mom. They would walk together every morning for an hour before work and call each other in the afternoon and leave voicemails saying what they were cooking for dinner. Beans and rice, homemade salsa, taco salad. (laughs) And then Julie started to lose weight. And Julie's body started to ache. My mom's a cancer nurse, and I think she saw the writing on the walls. For the next year, our lives revolved around Julie and her two sons. One was my brother's age, and one was in middle school. My mom folded a thousand paper cranes for Julie. She buzzed her head for her when that time came. She helped her find the best hospice house when that time came. She ran carpool for her when that time came. You all have been there. Then a few months before Julie passed, she asked my mom to come over. When my mom got to the house, there were six other women there, a handful from church, a couple from the neighborhood, and one from Julie's high school days. Julie said to them, I'm not going to be around to raise my boys. I won't be around to help them pick out a tie for prom or to talk to them about dating in college. I won't be around when they get their hearts broken or when they don't remember how to bake a birthday cake. I won't be around when they fall in love and have children of their own. I won't even be around when they graduate high school. I won't be around, so I'm wondering if you could be. That morning, they formed what they called the Council of Moms, which is inspired by a book called The Council of Dads. 
And together, those six women promised Julie that they would be there for her two boys. And they have. When John was on the homecoming court, the moms were in the football stands. And when Evan needed to get his driver's license, the moms helped him practice. And when John left for college, the moms sent him with a handful of recipes, all of their cell phone numbers, and a hamper full of cleaning supplies that they prayed he'd use. <laughs> Those moms could never replace Julie. And their presence could not undo the suffering they had all experienced, or even minimize their grief. But what they could do is make sure that those boys knew they were not alone. And what they could do was make sure that those boys knew that they were loved by God and by them. It doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. But I don't think catchphrases is what our deepest suffering really needs anyhow. Instead, I think we're called to keep showing up for each other. And to continue speaking love into broken places. And fortunately, I see you all do that all the time. You all show up at funerals and you tell stories. You volunteer all over this city because suffering cannot have the last word. You show up in hospital rooms, at bedsides, at youth group dinners, and in Sunday school classrooms. You deliver flowers and communion and you pray for one another. You all keep showing up, and thanks be to God for that, because when you do, we're able to see God's love. For the simple truth of it is, sometimes life does give us more than we can handle. Miscarriages are more than we can handle. Divorce feels like more than we can handle. The death of a child is always more than we can handle. Depression and anxiety and addiction feel like more than we can handle. The list goes on. Sometimes life gives us more than we can handle. And in those moments, God gives us people to hold on to and a church to call home. God gives us casseroles, carpool substitutes, and a council of moms. It does not take suffering away. For our bodies are frail. And sin comes easily to humanity. But it does remind us that the God of the Gospels is faithful. And that we are never alone. So friends, remember that when the Israelites were in slavery, God was there. And when they walked through the waters of the Red Sea to freedom, God was there. And when Jesus was alone in the wilderness, tempted and hungry, God was there. And when he was surrounded by a joyful crowd, God was there. And when the disciples were in that upper room, terrified and afraid, God was there. And when they left that room to start the church, God was there. And on your best day, God will be there. And when the world falls apart, and you feel like life is too much to handle, God will be there. Beside you and beneath you, above you and before you. Remember that. Say that. You are not alone. You are loved. And that is enough. Thanks be to God.
Let us pray. Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Friends, having heard the word read and proclaimed, I invite you to rise in mind, body, or spirit and affirm what it is that we believe using the affirmation of faith printed before us in our bulletin. We testify that God is faithful. Even when we are faithless, God remains faithful. The Lord still brings from oppressed and uprooted peoples riches of insight and daring visions that can judge and bless the world. We can have confidence in God's coming kingdom, even in the darkest times. Friends, you may be seated. Friends, I learned this week that one in three women in Texas will know domestic violence in their lifetime. So this month, our Every Dollar Counts offering will support the ministry of the Genesis Women's Shelter. The Genesis Women's Shelter provides safety and shelter and support for women who have experienced domestic violence and to raise awareness regarding its cause, prevalence, and impact. For my friends, let us all remember that God's love and grace shelters us all. So let us give that we may participate in sharing God's love and grace with the world. I invite our ushers forward this morning.
ages past, or hope for years to come. Take these, the first fruits of our lives, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, make them your hands and your feet in this world as we work for justice, freedom, and peace. We pray in Christ's holy name. Amen. Friends, you may be seated. He was always the guest. At the meal tables of the wealthy where he pled the case of the poor. Upsetting polite company, befriending the lost and the lonely, practicing radical hospitality. But here at this table, he is the host. So come, you who have been given more than you can bear, you who've been met with casseroles and councils, substitute teachers and grace, you who long for a deeper faith and a fairer world, Jesus Christ, who sat at our tables, invites us this morning to be a guest at his. This morning we will receive communion by remaining seated in the pews. As the tray comes down the row, you are invited to take a piece of bread and partake of it as you are ready. We invite you to take the cup and to hold it. We will drink the cup together as a sign of our unity in Christ. The juice is unfermented, the bread is gluten-free so that all may participate. This is an open table. All who love God and seek greater faith in Jesus Christ are welcome. Friends, let us pray. The Lord be with you. And also with you. Lift up your hearts. Lift them up to the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right to give our thanks and praise. Living word, it is truly right, God of all nations, to give thanks and praise for your endless mercy and amazing grace. From age to age you have been with us. You made the heavens and the earth and rule over all people. You create all things and guide us into your ways. Even when we go astray, you call us back, showing us the fullness of life in you and giving us new songs of praise for each and every day. Born of humble estate, Jesus lived for us and among us, healing the sick, easing the burdens of your people, and teaching us the new song of your kingdom. Christ showed his love for all of your children and his death at the hands of the authorities of the day. Yet when you raised him to new life, you sealed the promise of the new creation for all your people. For this incredible gift of life, give you thanks. And so with your people on earth and all the company in heaven, we praise your name and join their unending hymn singing.
now, O God, lest we believe that our praise alone fulfills your purpose. We fall silent and remember him who came, because words were not enough. Setting our wisdom, our will, our words aside. Emptying our hearts and bringing nothing in our hands. We yearn for the healing, the holding, the accepting, the forgiving, which Christ alone can offer. So in remembrance of these your mighty acts in Jesus Christ, we offer ourselves in praise and thanksgiving as a holy and living sacrifice in union with Christ's offering for us. For great is the mystery of faith. your Holy Spirit to settle on this bread and juice and fill them with the fullness of Christ and let that same spirit rest upon us converting us from the patterns of this passing world until we conform to the shape of him whose food we now share and who taught us to pray together saying our Father who art in heaven hallowed be thy name Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. On the night of his arrest, Jesus took bread. And after giving thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in like manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, This is the cup of the new covenant, sealed in my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink all of it and do so in remembrance of me. For my dear friends, for as often as we eat this bread and we drink this cup, we proclaim Christ's saving death until he comes again. And he is coming. For Christ is here with us now at table. For these, these are the gifts of God. For the people of God. Thanks be to God. Come. The table is now ready. When I fall 
to the rising sun.
holy and gracious God, for the meal that we have shared, for the nourishment of your spirit, and for the life of this community, we give you thanks. Help us to see miraculous signs wherever we see you. Help us to give our lives always to following you. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.